You'll turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Been preaching through Corinthians here, but when we were getting toward the other parts, it's things that I've taught recently or gone over recently. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. So I was actually thinking on this passage last week. It just seems to be opportune today. But uh, before we get to that, I wanted to share something with you guys. We've, uh, as a church, we had decided not too long ago, uh, last summer, last spring, we had decided as a church that we were going to give to missions. We hadn't been tithing as a church. You know, as individuals, we tithe, we give to the church. And a tenth is a good guideline, but give more, give less. You give as, as, as uh, God blesses you, and you give with a cheerful heart. But uh, as a church, we decided that we were going to tithe, and we picked a couple ministries because we, we just didn't know what else to pick. One of them was Camp Hope. And... Uh, you know, at the time, I was like, I, even if this is a secular organization or whatnot, we wanted to support the soldiers that come back from war. They suffer from PTSD, and that's what Camp Hope does. And uh, we've, we've got some personal experience here in the church, as small as we are with a couple of people that, that deal with things like that. So it was a blessing for us to be able to give. And it was a blessing to get this last letter. But... uh. I'll tell you the other half later, but I wanted to read this letter to you that they gave us, and it says, Dear friends, and it's a form letter, but dear friends, we would like to express our sincerest gratitude for your donation to the PTSD Foundation of America. And it's going to be odd numbers because we're working on 10%. And uh, between the two ministries... So this past year was certainly a challenge for all of us, but we are glad to report that our organization has touched more lives than ever before in 2021. Thousands joined us in our online groups, and we brought 13% more veterans into Camp Hope this year than in any previous year. While the VA largely closed their doors to trauma care, our doors remain safely open. Although we begin this new year with many of the same COVID-related challenges, We are encouraged by your support, and we continue to create new ways to grow our outreach efforts to our military and veteran community, working diligently to lower the veteran suicide rate of more than 20 each and every day. One thing we know is that the need for what we are doing here is not decreasing. Your donation directly impacts our military veterans and their families as we work to provide healing, help, and hope through peer-to-peer mentoring. Our staff understands that those who have served this nation are still struggling with the invisible wounds of combat, and we are working to assist our troops in putting the pieces of their lives back together. Our whole-person approach has proven to be effective in long-term success for the effects of combat post-related post-traumatic stress disorder. We hope that you will enjoy the enclosed newsletter please visit us on their website to sign up for our monthly newsletter or to find more information on our groups. And that website is ptsdusa.org. So 
and the rest is just uh, obligatory stuff. So I thought you'd be blessed by that. If we're, we're able, as small as we are, we're, we're reaching out. We're making an impact. So I thought y'all might appreciate that. As we look at this passage today, I, I titled this message, The God of All Comfort. And it starts off in chapter number one, verse one here. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. So he's speaking to the church at Corinth, and he's speaking to the saints. He's speaking to the saved. He says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring in enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the suffering, so shall you be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Let us pray. Amen. So, you know, there's been books, there's been all kinds of things. Why do good things happen to bad people and why, why all this? And you've heard me preach and I've told you that when you get saved, that doesn't solve all your problems. That doesn't make your problems go away. I could get up here and I could preach positive every day and I could lift you up and I could positively motivate everybody and I could say it's all good, God's in control, and he is. But there's sometimes when you get down into the depths, when you get down into the bottom of the barrel and you're looking up and you're saying, where is God in all of this? And it's a, it's a pain that hurts. And if you've ever been in there, and we're, we're, we're listening to Paul today, and Paul says that, uh, Paul, when he starts off his letter, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. And then verse number two, grace be to you and peace from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, blessed be God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. As we look at this today, I'd like to look at first the source of the comfort that we get from God. And that answers the question right there, amen? But the source of our comfort, what is your resource as a Christian? When you know God, what is your resource? And you say, well, I know the answer to that. But sometimes you need to be reminded. And then there's the subject of the comfort. When it happens to you. And then there's the stewardship of that comfort. What do you do with it? What's the purpose behind it? 
Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's been some times in my life where things have gotten hairy. I've, I've, I've gone through some things, and I, I know everybody else has, but I only know about the ones that I've gone through. And I know about those times. I know about lo- losing the job. I know about not being able to pay the bills. I used to be so paranoid about bills, I would pay them before they were due. When I was in the Navy, when I was in the Navy and, and I, I bought my car, I walked onto the lot and I, I bought the car the same day. I just went to look, right? The salesman sold me. I was paying it for the next six years. But when I, would, when I had run up the bill on my credit card and I almost ran into trouble with a credit card company, I wanted a good credit score. So knowing that I was going to be out to sea, I said, well, I've been to the gas station Three times, I'm going to call it $20 a tank. I'll send them $60 and be done with it, right? If there's any left over, that can apply toward next month. And I was on time with my bills. But then the time came when, when, when I got a better job and we were making good money and we were doing pretty good, you know, and we, we bought a house, we bought land, and then I lost that job. Now, out here, there's probably... 3,000 gas stations you could get a job at. Amen? Out in Georgia, that number goes down drastically. It's growing a little bit out there. But most of the people that are out there have been out there their whole lives. They know somebody in a factory. They started working in a factory when they were young, or they started out as a craft or something like that. I'm I'm not crying on your shoulder here. I'm just laying out a scenario to where I got into a position personally to where it was hard. And when I lost that job, I won't tell you how, I didn't do it, well, it doesn't matter really. I got fired, and it's real hard to get a job after you got fired. What was your reason for leaving the company? They kicked me out. I mean, that ends the application right there, right? It's like, let's look at these other 20. But we reached a point, I, we, we, it was falling down. And I kind of had my midlife crisis without the Corvette because <laughs> I couldn't afford it. I said, well, you know, I've been trying to work in these plants because I was working in a power plant. I said, well, you know, I'm probably, I'm pretty good with dealing with people. I'm going to try sales. <laughs> it's funny looking back. But I, I'm going to try sales. And I did. I tried sales. But it didn't work out. So what happens is you go from paying that bill ahead of time to you have no money. The phone rings and you pick it up. And I remember one time I was at a funeral and the phone rang and, you know, it still had the holster and everything. Now you got to go to the holster again because it's a small tablet. But I answered the phone and she said, yeah, this is such and so from, you know, how much are you going to pay? I don't have any. Yeah, okay. How much are you going to pay? <laughs> I don't have any. I'm not lying to you. I, I don't have any. And this is how it started. That was the start of it. And this went on. And you talk about you're getting knocked down, getting knocked down, getting knocked down. Couldn't make the payments on the house, you know. Uh, had to have help paying on the van. I tell you, before this, I thought anybody that looks for work, they ought to be able to find a job if they're really looking to work. 
I know there's a lot of Texans like that. But you start getting beat down. I remember a fellow at the church, he, he'd been looking for a job for a while, and I actually said that to him. You don't know how many times those words came back to haunt me. I said, well, you know, I, I figure if you're looking for work, you're going to find it or, you know. Okay. Got knocked down, got knocked down until I was, until my family was almost homeless. Because we had to give up the property. We had to give up the house. We had to get down to this point. So, and, and it was just, at one point, it was just me and that empty trailer that wasn't mine anymore or wasn't going to be mine because I knew I couldn't make payments and I was trying to do sales on door-to-door. I, I'm, I don't want to go into all that. I've already gone into it. But it, for me personally, this is what tore me up. And I remember, and I've told you this story before, I was on my knees there in the trailer, and I was saying, Lord, I just need a word from you. I couldn't find word. I said, I just need to know you're there. Just get down to that. Just get down. I mean, you're, you're somebody that doesn't pay their bills. At one point, we had to go on food stamps. Oh! <gasps> but we had to do it. When you're looking at their ki- your kids and they're going hungry, when you're looking at your family and you can't take care of them, all I can say is that once I started to make money, I just gave them back the card. I didn't care how much was on it. I just wanted to get rid of the thing. I was glad to get off, you know. But I was there at that one moment, and I'll never forget this moment, and I'm there in the trailer, and, and I'm there, and I'm by myself. Dee Dee's home with her parents. She'd left me then, too. Didi was home with her parents, and I'm, I'm there trying to make a go of it, trying to, you know, if I could just sell one of these things, if I could just get one or two sales, we would have enough for the month. I mean, that was that good a commission. And I'm, and I'm just, I'm praying, trying to find a job, and I said, Lord, I just need to know that you're there. And then I kid you not, the phone rang, the, the, the cell phone, and I was scared. I was like, well, the... I mean, right after I'd said that, the phone rang. I looked at that, and I said, oh, I don't know if I meant like this, Lord. I answered the phone. It was a guy in Minnesota. I'm glad I didn't go there now. But he was, he was looking for somebody who did water treatment before, you know. It wasn't, I wasn't able to do it. It wasn't something I could do, but it was a handful on purpose. It was one of those little things that God lets you know that he's there. You understand what I'm saying? You know, when you're in, when you're at the bottom and all you can do is look up, just something that lets you know that God is still there, that little handful of purpose, just to let you know he's still there. It doesn't solve the whole problem. It doesn't pull you out of it. It doesn't make everything go away. But it lets you know right here, I'm not alone. God's still in control. It's so easy to say and it's so easy to spout out, but when you're down at that spot and for, for anybody else it's different. For other things it's different. But uh, Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. You get to that point in your life, some people think it's hypocritical. I hadn't reached out to God before. I'm not going to do it now. You ever think God may be taking you to that point so that you will reach out to him? 
That's not it. And I'd said this before, and somebody brought it back up to me, but it's, it's not hypocritical to cry out to God. It's hypocritical to not cry out to him. It's hypocritical to say, I got this. Really? How's that working out for you? But he's the source of our comfort. He said, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those times of sorrow, those times when you reach out, it's knowing what the source is. You know, so many people turn to other things and we have a tendency to. We turn to this or that for comfort. But Christian, you don't have to. You don't have to turn to those things. Those things that take your mind off of your problems, those things that take your worries about it. There's a key word here in verse number three. He says, blessed be God. When you're blessing God, it takes your mind away from your problems. Some people get down to the bottom and they start blaming God. But when you, start, when you get to the bottom of it and you start blessing God, your problems start to go away. Peter, when he was out on that storm, one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite illustrations. Peter, they were out on the storm and the water and they'd been rolling all night. Jesus was up on the mountain and he was praying. They were in God's will. He had told them to row across. He had put them in that position. And as they get out there and they begin rowing and rowing, and those storms, those skies, they, they, they start to darken even at night. And then those waves start to pick up. And as you row, it doesn't seem like they're making any progress. They can see the land, but they don't feel like they're making any progress. And they're, they're in one spot, and they're just rowing just to stay in one place. And that's how it gets in your problems, in your own storm. You're rowing, but you seem like you're just staying in the one place, like you're not making progress. And Jesus saw them out there, and he walked out on the water to them. And we know that part. But the part where Peter looks out, they see him. It's the Lord. They were afraid at first that it was a spirit. They said, it's the Lord. And Peter, anytime it was the Lord Jesus, bless Peter's heart, anytime it was the Lord Jesus, he forgot about anything else that was going on. If only we could have a heart like Peter on that. But he gets out of the boat. He's in the boat. And he said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come. Jesus said, come. He's out on the water. Everybody else is in the boat and saying, well, I don't know how he's doing that. I, I hope he gets to us soon. Peter says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come. That's the way to be in the middle of the problems. Lord, bid me to come. Let me come toward you. Peter gets up. I can see him. He gets all excited. He gets out of that boat and he steps on that water and he starts walking over to him. And then all of a sudden, the other half of Peter's brain catches up with him. And he looks around, and waves are boisterous, it said. They were all around him. And that storm. When you get into your own problems, sometimes all you can focus on is what's going on. This bill is due. That bill is due. This isn't going to get paid. I'm going to lose my house. This is going to happen. This sickness is going to take me. This is going to do something to me. This is going to do that. You get caught up in all of that around you, just like Peter did. And he's looking at the water. And he sees the storm in the skies. And he's like, what in the world am I doing? And as soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus and begins to look at everything around him, he begins to sink. 
He begins to go down into the water. And I say he begins to, I'm pretty sure he just went. (laughs) Because he looked up and all of a sudden he saw Jesus again. And those problems didn't matter. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus reaches down a hand and pulls him up. That was a rough experience. In the middle of that storm, Peter didn't know what was going to happen. Once he saw the waves, once he hit the water, once that water went up over his head, once he got a little bit, <coughs> got a little bit in his throat, and, and, and coming back, Peter, Jesus pulls him up. Still spitting water out, and he follows Jesus and he gets back in the boat. That was rough. But there's something. There's something about Peter in that. Because of all the disciples, Jesus was the, Peter was the only other man on earth to walk on the water with Jesus. God sends us problems. And they're hard when we're in them. They're tough when, you're, when you see it all around you. You cry out, Lord, save me. You get on the other side. I can tell you this. I look back. It was hard to go through. I had to come up with a phrase. I say everything's a process. Processes are painful. Processes hurt. It's the only way I rationalize it with myself. coming out on the other side of it and you look back and you say, man, look what I learned in this. We look in the Bible. Well, (laughs) so when you begin blessing God, it takes your minds away from your problems. We see Paul blessing and praising God and everything that he did. You know, Brother Grady, my pastor, the last year of his life, the last few months of his life, he, he was carrying an oxygen bottle. And uh, he's still preaching. He, he carried that oxygen bottle and he'd wheel it up there and we'd set him up. We'd put that stool up there so Brother Grady could talk, so we could hear him preach. Brother Grady was in and out of the hospital. It's hard to to watch. He'd been a carpenter his whole life, a cabinet maker of all things. Brother Grady had his little simple wood shop. He had like three tools. (laughs) At least it wasn't wasn't a big one, but he was a cabinet maker. I remember one time we were working on something and and nailing something, and uh, he was tapping something in, and the fellow we were working with, he's like, cabinet maker. (laughs) He got over there and slammed the nails in there. But working out in that shop, there's no telling what he'd been breathing all them years, you know. I doubt he wore a dust mask, but that fibrosis, his lungs were hurting. They were filling up. It was getting worse. He'd get a little better. He'd get home. He'd get bad again. Toting that oxygen. You know what Brother Grady used to say? He said, praise God anyhow. You get in those troubles, you just praise God anyhow, because you know he's in control. Brother Gray, you say, whoopee. 
whenever he'd hear good preaching. But you know, the, the thing about praising God, when you do that, in the midst of your troubles, in the midst of your trials, the devil loses. When you look back at the book of Job, you look in the book of Job and it says the sons of God came before God one day and God was bragging on Job because Job would make sacrifices. He would make offerings for his children just in case they thought bad thoughts. And he, he, he was trying, he was righteous in all the ways. And God said, has thou considered my servant Job? The devil said, does, does he fear not? Doesn't he fear God? Does he fear God for naught? Because you've blessed him in everything that he does. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he bless you back? He says, but let me, let me take a few things from him. Let me touch his life. I'll have him, I'll have him cursing you. And summarizing, God says, all right, only save his life alive. Man, the devil took that. Save his life alive. You know, there's a lot a man can lose without losing his life. All in the same day, Job's kids were having a dinner. All the brothers and sisters were all together under the same house having a dinner. The house falls in on them. Satan leaves one servant alive to send the message over to Job. He gets that message. And then the cattle get stolen, and then we know how it goes. Job begins to lose everything. He loses his wealth. He loses everything. And it said at the end of chapter 1, in verse 20, it said, Then Job arose, Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It said, In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Satan has another conversation with God. And God said, He held out. And He said, Yea, skin for skin, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Just let me touch him. You'll, you'll see that he'll curse you. And God said, Okay, but don't take his life. And that's when Job began to get the boils, the sores. Now his health was gone. And he was sitting there. He never cursed or charged God foolishly in all of that. You know who lost on that? Satan. There's a, there's a story I want to share with y'all. You may have heard it. I don't know. It's just a story. Satan's garage sale. Satan advertised that he was selling off many of his tools, and he put on display some of his best items. Many demons showed up to see just what the devil was getting rid of that day. They came from all around to see what they could purchase to improve their shameful skills. Each tool sold almost as quickly as it was placed upon the display tables. He had each tool with a price on it. 
anger, $100, resentment, $400, hatred, $600, etc., etc. Anger was selling fairly low, so common, so plain, so effective. Greed brought a big price, and pride drove bids to high levels. Multiple copies of the jealousy tool were hot items. Lust, as always, was at a bargain basement price. There were tools that would make it easy to tear others down for use as stepping stones, some lenses for magnifying one's own importance, and if you look through them the other way, they could be used to belittle others. There was an assortment of gardening implements to help one's pride to grow by leaps and bounds, the rake of scorn, the shovel of jealousy, along with the tools of gossip and backbiting, of selfishness and apathy. All were pleasing to the eye and came complete with fabulous promises and guarantees of prosperity. One visitor, as he browsed, noticed two well-worn nondescript tools on a table in one corner. He found it curious that those two tools had no price tags. When he asked why, Satan just laughed and said, well, that's because I use them so much. If they weren't so plain looking, people might see them for what they are. This seemed to please the old man. He snatched up the tools and held them to his chest with a glint in his eye. He asked the devil, how much for these? Without hesitation, the man said, I'll pay you any amount. The devil narrowed his eyes and hissed. I told you, these tools aren't for sale nor will I ever sell them. They're the most useful tools I own. Without them, I wouldn't be half as effective in my work. With those tools alone, I can accomplish my every task. Now, good day to you, sir. Disappointed, the man looked once more at the shiny tools then slowly placed them back on the table in the corner. With almost a whisper, he said to the devil, if I can't buy them, would you at least tell me their names? A slow and wicked grin grew across the devil's face. Satan pointed to the two tools and said, you see, that one's doubt and that one's discouragement. And those will work when nothing else will. The devil continued, they're more useful to me than any of the others. When I can't bring down my victims with the rest of my tools, I use doubt and discouragement. With those tools alone, I can accomplish my every task. Perplexed, the old man wondered out loud, what's so special about those tools? He said, nothing paralyzes a man. Nothing stops someone in their tracks like discouragement and doubt resulting in hopelessness. Discouragement and doubt are no respecters of persons. They keep the unemployed, unemployed, the homeless, homeless, the sick, sick. They can even draw the most powerful ministry to its knees. When overcome with discouragement and doubt, that leads to hopelessness. Persons cannot pray, they cannot worship, and they can become a victim of their environment. Discouragement and doubt drain their victims of courage, vision, faith, expectation, and the will to make a difference in the kingdom of God. If I can get people discouraged and full of doubt, then I have successfully neutralized them. They are then left with only enough energy to feel hopeless and sorry for themselves. So praise God anyhow. Other illustrations in the Bible, when you look back through the Bible and you think of times of discouragement, you think of Joseph, who was put into a pit by his brothers, who, who suffered as a slave. Yet he, God blessed him in those times. Even though he spent time in the pit as a slave, even though he'd been falsely accused when he went to the prison, he never turned his eyes away from God. And God blessed him in what he was doing. 
until he came to the point, and this is where we come to our next verse. He says, blessed be the God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. See, something happened to me during that time. During that time going without paychecks, during that time being unemployed, during that time I I got to the point where I couldn't even look people in the eye. There was this one movie that Will Smith did, something about pursuit of happiness or something. I got about halfway through it when he was in the bathroom and somebody was beating on it. He no longer had a house. He tried sales or whatever. I've never seen the end of that movie. Because at that time, the only reason that we had a place for our family was because of church. There in Leefield, Georgia, said, the pastorium's open. Would you like to stay there? It was a hard movie to watch. But there's something that comes out of that. Because when you see someone else struggling with something, you've been through it. You can offer them that same comfort that God gave you. You're able to look at somebody and you're able to see past mud and the blood and the guts. You're able to see past the ugliness and you're able to see into their heart a little bit because you've been there. You're able to see into the darkness a little bit because you've been there. If your whole life goes without any pain or suffering, you don't have anything to draw on to help people. At the time when I spoke to that young man and I said to him, you know, well, I I found that, you know, when people look for work, they they find work. Up to that point in my life, I'd only ever worked at a bait camp, U.S. Navy, and, and a water company doing water treatment. I'd had three jobs in my life up to that point. The fourth job that I had, I wasn't out of work too long, and it was a promotion in the sense. It was going to the power plant. It was making a lot more money than I was in the other job. I'd looked for work. I'd went through the process. So I didn't really understand what the young man was going through. I didn't really understand that sometimes when you're looking for the job, you understand that when you take that job, you can get trapped in that job and miss out on the better opportunity. You're trying to find that balance between being employed and looking right in everybody else's eyes and finding a job that will actually provide for your family. Because of what I went through just recently, when a young man came up to my door at the plant, he had no business being there. My little shop is outside the fence line. They sent him over to my gate for no particular reason. I don't know how that happened. But I'm at the bottom of a radio tower. There's a radio tower and a little building underneath, and I sit in there, you know, and I go in the plant, and I work from there. There's no reason for anybody to be in 
that area, gate 46. But he knocked on the door, talked to him. I understood where he was. I understood what he was going through. I understood what it is to leave home to find work. And if you've been through the loss of a husband, if you've been through a divorce, if you've been through the loss of a family member, if you've, if you've dealt with someone that's, that's struggled with addiction or if you've struggled with addiction yourself, it wasn't a waste. It says, who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God gave you that comfort in those circumstances, but it wasn't, it wasn't to be like a stagnant pool. It allows you to minister to other people. When you begin praising God, when you begin putting your eyes toward God and you say, praise God anyhow, God begins to show you later, later, maybe not right then, but later you see somebody going through it. You see their soul. You see what they're going through. You're able to help them. There's suffering in this Christian life. Paul says, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Paul knew what he was talking about. I was talking about job loss. I'm talking about loss of a family. Paul in the ministry was suffering physically. Paul in the ministry was suffering rejection. Paul in the ministry was suffering from the circumstances that surrounded him. Look over at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Verse 24, he says, Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils but in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness. Beside those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He says, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. And the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. And he, and he goes on to talk about it. But the, the sufferings and the persecution. When Paul was cast into prison, they didn't bemoan their problem. That's when Paul and Silas began to pray and praise God. That's when the jails were shaken open. If we're going to be saved from a barren, fruitless Christian life, we're going to have to suffer and come through it victoriously. When the Corinthians suffered for Christ... They will also be consoled by Christ. No consolation without suffering, no suffering without consolation, and being able to help another through similar circumstances. And Job 42.10 was a devotional passage given by Oswald Chambers one day, but it never left me. It said, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. 
Also, the Lord gave twice as much as he had before. That's not a doctrinal statement, but when you look at that, when you begin to take your eyes off yourself and you look at other people and you begin to pray for them, and it's God's blessing. Robert Browning, in a poem, The Road Ahead, along the road, wrote these words. He said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and narrow words she said, said she, but all the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Oh, Paul said in Romans 8.18, he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I don't know if I made this depressing or not. It seemed like I did. I see y'all looking down. It's supposed to be encouraging. But leave it to me to make it depressing. Because the thing is, with all the we went through, and I, I just paint the picture with what I know. With what we went through, I can say praise God anyhow. You know, and it's not that I don't pay my bills now, but I don't panic. I know God's in control. I, I know how he took care of us during those times, you know. I know those little handfuls of purpose, you know, the time Dee Dee and Caleb were sitting there and Caleb was wanting a snack, and Dee Dee said, well, let's pray for it. Next thing you know, Brother Minnick shows up. <laughs> He's got Debbie snacks from his nephew that works on one of the trucks. Just little things, little handfuls of purpose. You know God's there. You work through it. Well, let me ask you something. Well, let me read the second half of this thing to you. When we talk about consolation. This was, a, this was the newsletter. It's not going to take long. When we, I, I brought it up, when we took on Camp Hope, when we took on this PTSD foundation, we were taking it on because we just wanted to be a help. We weren't, you know, it wasn't really a Christian organization, wasn't really a missionary, but we wanted to be tithing, and we let God give the results, right? Y'all listen to this letter from David Molesby says, it was on this day 10 years ago that I was scheduled to meet Clay Hunt. It wasn't until the next day that I learned why he didn't join us at the event we were attending at City Center. Suicide is extremely complex in both its cause and endless effects. None of us can fully understand how this impacted Clay's family, but I do know how it impacted my life. Much has rightfully been said and written about Clay. Do a quick Google search and you can spend a great deal of time learning about his life and passionate, dedicated service to his fellow man. As the book of Hebrews states of Abel, saying, He being dead still speaks, so it can also be said of clay. Not a day goes by that I'm not reminded of and motivated by the legacy and loss of Clay Hunt. Since his death, countless others have joined this mission of serving America's veterans affected by the trauma of war and continue to volunteer, also motivated by clay. Our mission and our passion remain unwavering. While much has been accomplished in these past 10 years, much more lies in front of us. We will work and pray and collaborate in every way possible to save other parents from such a horrific loss. Thank you for all you've done and continue to do as a vital member of this team. So I just thought I'd share that with you. Let's close out.